Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Peter Van Dyke, welcome to the Undraped Artist hey. Podcast. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better. So, where are you right now? I read your bio, and it said you live in two places. If I remember right, Philadelphia, and then now I can't remember the second place. Uh, Alabama. Okay, where are you right now? I'm in Philadelphia. Okay, I'm mostly in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, we're in Philadelphia for the. Uh, school year for the most part, and then we're in uh, Alabama for the summer, which is not the optimal time to be in Alabama. Yeah, but, uh, what the heck's that all about? Way. Well, you know, I, I have I kind of operate on a school year calendar, so that's just the way it works out. You know? Are you teaching in Philadelphia? Is that why you're in Philly during the school year? Yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, I'm from Philly, and I came back here after going to school. Um, and uh, but my wife is from Alabama, from the deep middle of nowhere, Alabama. Uh. Uh, so we spend time down there. We built a, um, a studio, kind of like a studio slash barn house thing that we live in when we're down there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I'm mostly here. I mean, we have our, our primary studios here and our, our primary houses here in Philly. And, you know, I'm teaching pretty much the whole school year. Um, and then during the summer, I'm floating around doing workshops and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So where do you teach? Uh, the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. Oh, you do? No kidding. That's yeah. awesome. We've talked yeah. a lot about PAFA, so this is great. I know. I know. Are you following the podcast? Really I'm not offended if you're not. But, okay. No, 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 no. I, you know, it was it was um, Chris Teejan's interview. Um, yes. That that onto this, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. So. Okay, um, I'm glad yeah. you brought him yeah. up because I I wanted to ask you about about whether or not you know him because I know you're kind of in similar. You live in a similar area. I can't remember how close he is to Philly, but I know he lives in that general he, area. He's not, he's not too far now, but my, I mean, I had a strange overlap with him. Um, I've never met him, actually. Um, but when I first was in, um, in Philly, when I was back in Philly after school, I was looking at PAFA and I was, you know, just seeing the work there. And he was somebody whose work I was particularly interested in. He was graduating at the time. Um, and he actually lived out near where I live now. Um, but I never actually crossed paths with him. Paths with him. He just kind of, um, I don't know, he kind of um, disappeared off the, the scene that I was aware of, at least. And I just uh, hadn't heard from him until uh, I hadn't seen anything he'd done until recently, uh, when we were at a show together out in Lancaster or something like that. Yeah, so that was really interesting. And your podcast, I thought that was great. I know he's an interesting character. He's sort of kind of living in his own world. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, he doesn't really promote himself much, and yet he's got this great living. It's it's he's a yeah. an interesting character, a really cool guy. Yeah, you should get to know him. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the other the other reason I wanted to ask you about him, and we'll get into your painting more. But you guys have uh you guys have some things in common. You have a similar aesthetic, kind of. 
Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, he um, comes a, a little bit, I think, from a tradition of, um, well, something that's, that's I saw first through Papa, which was a kind of, um, you know, a kind of pain that had a lot to do with your um, in, immediate environment, you know, and trying to sort of make something out of what you have. Uh, at least that's what I got from it. And so that that was very inspiring to me when I first saw it. I had not seen much work like that. You know, I was at a I I had been at an atelier, uh, which doesn't really address that very much. You know, yeah. sort of it's a lot to do with kind of um, manipulating and and um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but sort of managing your environment until it's you know just the way you need it, and then painting it. You know, right. Uh, that just wasn't working for me. And so I, when I saw what he was doing, I thought, oh, this is, this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, man, you're bringing up all kinds of stuff. Cause I was looking through your website. I was noticing, uh, what did, what did you label it? Ancient work? I think like under past work, oh, it says yeah. ancient. Yeah. I'm and trying to distance myself. From yeah. It, oh it? yeah, man. It, it was, I mean, it was good work too, but now that you mentioned you went to an atelier and then you went to PAFA and the differences in your experience between the two, as far as subject matter, it's so obvious when you compare your ancient yeah. to your current. And yeah, I'll pull well, that up in a I, bit. But I should point out, I actually didn't go to Papa. I, I oh. what happened? I when I was I had taken some continuing ed classes there at the end of my high school time, um, and then I went to uh, an atelier, and then I came back to Philly and I started teaching at Papa. Um, sort of, I guess. I'm not sure how, you know, or why that happened. I mean, I think it was kind of, I think that it was what I had learned in my atelier training that was appealing uh, to the people who brought me on there. Um, and then, you know, I, so I learned, I've learned probably fully half, if not three quarters of what I, whatever it is that I know about painting during teaching at PAFA. I mean, I, I no effectively kidding. go to, yeah, I mean, I because I, I didn't know, uh, not that I know much now, but I mean, I just, I don't know, I just was, I just didn't have much experience at all. And um, I hadn't seen really at all what was possible. And it's a kind of a humbling and slightly embarrassing experience to um, be learning um, on the fly like that, but it's been worth it, you know, um, to, to have a community where you know, your students are doing stuff that's like much more interesting than what you're doing. <laughs> and you have to yeah. deal with that. But I mean, there is that old cliche that students learn more than their, or teachers learn more than their students. And I think that's true, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. To some degree. Yeah. Well, and I, I think um, you feel like you're supposed to be, uh, like you're supposed to know what you're doing, you know? Uh, and I think that's hard for people to kind of get their head around. They want you to give them some definitive answer. And, um, you know, if you're honest, you really can't do that. You know? Yeah. And then there are just obscure things. Like there's this one kid who I teach. Well, he's not a kid. He's, he's a man, but man, I sound like an old dude now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's this one guy that I teach who he's like a chronic online shopper and, oh. It seems like at least once a week he comes in and says, Jeff, I found the ultimate pencil or the ultimate sharpener or the, this new color or, you know, or, or something or this new palette. And I'm, and I've bought so much stuff that's really cool 
because yeah. of him. And that's not technically a drawing principle or painting principle, but I've applied those tools in such a way that they do affect my painting. I mean, it's just things you can't even, you can't possibly know everything. Your students are going to bring right. that stuff with them. Yeah. And, and I just, it's just nice to have, you know, other people in, in your life, I guess. I don't think I would have anybody other than my, just, you know, my, my wife and my son, like, I just, I don't think I'd see people if I didn't do that, you know, I didn't have to teach. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of res not resigned, but I'm kind of, ex I've accepted that I just, just no way I can stop teaching. I would, I don't know what I'd do, you know? Yeah. I mean, just, I would uh, be yeah. like totally lost. Yeah. You sound like me. I mean, I just got interviewed on John Dalton's podcast and that's one of the things I said to him. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the, one of the reasons I teach is just to have people, <laughs> just to oh, have a yeah. community. Cause I'm not one of those people that can be sitting alone in a studio all day. I'd go stir crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I, I had this slightly, um, you know, uncomfortable realization recently that I am, I'm hopelessly addicted to the attention as well. Like, that's very I'm transparent of you. Well, I'm not kidding. I thought about this, you know, like you've probably been teaching a really long time. Yeah. Right? I have. Like, right. Okay. And I've been teaching a really long time, much longer than I should have been. I mean, I started teaching before I really was qualified in any way, if I'm qualified now. Um, and you just take for granted that like you have, like people are paying attention to you like all the time, you know, that's, you get, you really do get used to that and mm -hmm. you get used to being a center of attention. And, um, you know, that's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm not proud of that, but it's true, you know? And so I don't know. I, I just realized like, Oh man, I don't know. I couldn't do it. I couldn't quit now. Dude, I'm, I'm, I can't I'm, believe I'm, you admitted that. I, that, I, I have to admit, I'm going to, I'm going to come clean. I, I enjoy it too, you know, but yeah. Well, but I think dude, we the undraped artist, you heard it here. You were you were emotionally naked yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, it's I great. love that. That's great. Okay, well, let's go back a little bit before your education, before you started teaching. Tell me about your childhood and how you ended up becoming an artist. Uh, well, you know, I I um I guess I you know I grew up in Philly in a, a very nice neighborhood with very nice parents. Um, uh, and I went to private school my whole life, basically. That's the sort of, um, you know, uh, I guess, blessed existence that I've had. Um, and I should say without that, um, again, if we're going to come clean, if, if I hadn't had the resources that my, my folks had, um, I, I, there's no way I'd be a painter. I mean, I'm, I, am mar I marvel at the people who have the courage to um, put their comfort and you know and and whatever you know put it on the line to pursue something like this i i, I don't kid myself for one second that that i would have been one of those people i'd be the first guy in business school you know if i thought that i was going to need to be you know and well, so wait i'm not sure i understand big... i'm not sure i understand because i am one of those people that grew up in a poor family we didn't have a lot we weren't like so poor that I couldn't go to college. We could afford to the application fees barely, but um, I'm curious how my life is any different than yours. I don't feel like I missed out on opportunities. So I no. think the only reason I ask is because maybe you're being too humble, you know, that, that maybe well, you could no, have been an artist no, otherwise. I, I, well, I don't, I actually, I 
I'm not, I don't, certainly don't want to be um, unrealistically humble because I don't think that's any worse, any better than being arrogant. Um, I'm trying to be realistic. I don't think that I, maybe, you know, it's possible. I know that, I know though that um, having certain things taken care of for you um, puts a different kind of existential pressure on you, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when, when you get the feeling that like, you're not going to have to fight for much in life, you know, and you're not going to have to, um, uh, you, you're not going to live the life that is sort of self, um, self-fulfilling in the sense that you feel like you're really doing something or that you have achieved something, um, that gives you worth, you know, um, that drove me to need to do something that I could feel like I had done myself, you know, to the degree that anybody can do something themselves, truly. Um, like I needed to have something that was mine that, you know, couldn't really be gotten for me by somebody else. Um, and so it, it put me in this mode of like, I've got to do something. And it, and it just happened to be painting because at the time in my life when I was really having to figure out what I was going to do, that was the thing that I was interested in. But, you know, when I was 10, I wanted to be a hockey player. And when I was 16, I wanted to be a skateboarder. Uh, and, you know, um, we have all so the same I interests, think, Pete, by the way, <laughs> really? I also played yeah, hockey that, and skateboarded. Yeah. Well, I, 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 there is almost no, um, analogy between skateboarding and art that I will not use. I'm convinced that skateboarding <laughs> and painting are just absolutely the same thing, except one is physically way more dangerous than the other. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I, I can't separate, you know, my upbringing in that sense from what I ended up doing. Um, you know, I, I, it was because, uh, my folks were, you know, had resources that I felt the pressure to, um, achieve something. And I, that, that, you know, that put me in, in the direction of, of, um, of painting. And then also it gave me the, the comfort to feel like, well, I'll be okay. You know, like I'm not going to get kicked out on the street. Um, so. So uh, are you saying that your parents had resources that made you feel the pressure to achieve something, but usually that pressure would be become a doctor or a lawyer so that you could be like your parents, right? It's usually like the rebellious kid who's going to be a loser. That's like, dad, I realize you make X dollars a year as an attorney, but I want to, uh, you know, I want to be a painter or I want to have my own band or whatever. And then your parents are chronically disappointed in you. So this is a really good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that reminds me, that reminds me of the, the, uh, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I think where they're dealing with this, this kid who's going to inherit all this land. And his dad is trying to tell him, he's like, son, you know, and he, all all he wants to do is sing. And so he keeps interrupting his dad and saying, what father, all I want to do is sing. And, and, and that's like, I think that's, that's, (laughs) that's 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 how I imagine it turning out. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 that's funny because both of my folks were like, um, I think they really, uh, um, you know, they, my, they kind of showed, they, they set the example that, that, um, you know, that, it, that doing things well was intrinsically valuable, you know, um, and that working was good for its own, you know, in its own right, uh, for its own sake. Um, and so, yeah, it's funny. I guess it, it, it wasn't, it didn't seem rebellious at all. I don't know. It didn't, but, but also my, 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 my mom especially is, was really, um, 
really promoted, you know, music and art and stuff like that in our in our lives. So um, it's funny. My older brother is an architect, and my younger brother is a um, an orchestra musician. Uh, <laughs> so they had a yeah. musician and a painter, and they weren't chronically disappointed. Yeah. yeah. I, no, so no. I think well, at least if they were, they did a very good job of hiding it. Um, so it sounds to so. me like it's not the difference between your upbringing and my upbringing isn't that you had means, but that the means might have led to culture and more knowledge about the possibilities in the world, which led to doors being open to you. Because my parents, they also believed that hard work was important in and of itself, but they had no concept that art yeah. and music and cultural things had any value because to them, the only thing that mattered was having enough money to keep the lights on. Right. So no, was, that's, yeah, let me be clear. There's no, I am not in, in any way implying that, um, that that's the, the, that a work ethic is, is a class-based thing. No, I, I know you're not. I know but, you're not. But, but no, no, I, here's, here's the thing. What I think, I think the difference was that it being, um, I think I had very low self-esteem because of that, you know, oh, okay. um, and, and so, and this is actually my biggest fear about painting and my painting. I mean, and my art is that I actually don't like painting. I just did it for self-esteem. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's my biggest fear. Um, more than whether I'm any good or whether anybody um, likes my work or sees my work, there's nothing that worries me more than that I actually don't like painting. And all I really want is to prove something to myself. Um, because if you don't really like painting, then there's there's simply you're not you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Yeah. You know. So I, I'm I, these days I'm less worried about that. I, I really think I, for the first time in my life I actually feel like I like no 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 I I really like painting you know and and this is the right thing for me to do you know. So I had this thought recently that um, about that because I actually get distressed when I feel like I'm forcing myself. Um, because the fact is I don't have to paint. Like I could just not paint, <laughs> you know, yeah. just not do anything. Um, and so I feel a lot of pressure to actually enjoy what I'm doing, which sounds ridiculous when you say it, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, because I don't have that kind of workmanlike um, approach that, that most like professionals have, um, it's, it's made me kind of develop a way of painting that's always fun for me. So, um, see, like if you, if I had had, if I had grown up and like had to do things that I didn't want to do, I would get used to doing that. Like I would have been like, oh yeah, this is boring, but I keep going, mm -hmm. but this is how terrible I am. If I get bored, I'm like, I'm not doing this, you know? Right. And so, because I don't have to, you know, like, and right. so in painting is the same way. Like, so I paint the way I paint because it's the way that keeps me interested. And if you ever like, I've done like recordings, like demos uh, of myself for my students. And when you, when I watch what I'm doing, it makes so little sense. It just looks insane. And, and I think, oh yeah, th that makes sense to me because I can tell that like, I'm bored with that. And so now I'm doing that part and now I'm doing that and now I'm doing that. So I actually, I, my, it's almost like that's my, my mandate is to like be engaged in what I'm doing, you know? Um, it's because for me, I can't think of another reason to do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed by, by the, 
work uh, ethic and just, you know, consistency that, that somebody, especially like yourself, is able to this is totally um, alien to me. I, I don't think I could do it. Oh, you've you know? got you've I've missed I've uh, I've given you a false impression I'm <laughs> about myself. Well, you've done a good job. <laughs> but no, I mean, I do have to feed the family. But, what, you know, we also have this in common teaching. Obviously, you don't have to paint because you teach. You can teach and, and, and you're able to. I'm assuming either you or you and your wife are able to support your family without painting because of that. But I also teach, and it also frees me up to be in a position where I don't have to get to the easel every day. Like I do have another yeah. income, um, uh, and so, so I know exactly what you're saying. And there are days where I just, I'm just not doing it. It's just not in me, and yeah. I'll probably mess it up if I even tr try because I'm just not into it. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a lot more pressure on your um, results than there is on mine, though. I mean. Um, and I, I, I'm not, I can't be, if I'm results oriented, um, I just really have a bad, I just do really badly, you know? Mm. Um, and, but you know, that's why my work is so incredibly erratic. I think, I mean, it's just, I just pain and then like, Oh, well, that turned into something or that didn't. And, uh, I have really no idea what's going to become of anything that I start. Um, and so, but if somebody said they paint this for me, I don't know if I could do it. Um, at least certainly not reliably. Um, and I yeah. don't think I could do anything liked. Um, uh, because if there's anything that I like in my work, it's like stuff that surprises me, you know, like, Oh, Hey, look at that. And you can't plan that, you know? Yeah. It just happens. Yeah, no, that is where we're different because I actually enjoy commissions where someone gives me param at least a small parameter. I don't like to be bound, but a small parameter like this is my family. I enjoy those because it's some it's a starting point. So I'm I yeah, commissions can be great for me as long as the client says, "Here's my family," or "Here's this here's this particular scripture story." run with it but if they're like we want this person here we want that person there we want this color clothing we want that there we want you know it's like okay i'm done it's not happening that's that's a good point about parameters because i actually do feel like i need parameters um and i think that's why i'm but very kind of like situational painter like i put i like i'm gonna sit here okay that's my those are my parameters yeah um so i do i do definitely feel the need to constrain that um uh, and so that's like, all right, whatever I can experience while I'm in this spot, this is what I'm going to deal with. But, um, yeah, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine being micromanaged. The, the, the oh, paradox of a, the paradox of a commission is that it seems is that I've done one commission, by the way, uh, that's it. Uh, if that's, to, and that was never asked again. Um, but the, uh, it's like somebody saying, I want you to be you but I want you to be you the way I want you to be. You know, I it's know, like, it's exactly it's like that. Weird. It's very weird. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you're, it's great the position that you've put yourself in where you can just paint when you want to paint, paint what you want to paint, how you want to paint it, and when it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, no, it's awesome. There's just no denying that.
Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So as a kid, you've told me a little about your family life. At what point did you decide that you wanted to become a painter? I think when I was about um, maybe like 19, 18 or 19, I, I, um, I spent That's a year. Late. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really start um, getting interested in it until I was, I think about 16. Um, and then uh, I, I went to a, um, like I went to a college, a regular college for a year. Uh, that was kind of the deal. Um, and I was going to go to college. I think my, my folks were, you know, expecting that. So I went for a year and I was very unhappy. Um, and I just felt like this is not what I want to do. I'm not, you know, it's a college, it was college with a good art program. I think you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was so not adequate for me. And so I, um, I managed to convince my parents to let me take a year to go get this art thing sort of sorted out. And then I'd find something and I'd be like, okay, that's good. I can come back and get back to college. Um, but so I went to, um, I, I went, I actually enrolled at PAFA and went for about a week or maybe, maybe, maybe like a month or something. And then I, I got into the Florence Academy, which was like what I really wanted to do. And so I left and went to the Florence Academy. Um, and then instead of, I, I, so I managed to get myself over there, you know, my, my, my mom was like, yeah, okay, we do that for a year. And then the year went by and I, and it was sort of like, okay, I'm not coming back, you know? Um, and so I did. So I why did that. is that? Did funds run out or you just weren't into it or what? No, 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 no. I, 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 there was no, you know, no funding problem or anything like that. It was just, I, I decided that I, I just couldn't go back to college, you know, like I just, I was going to stay in Florence. Um, and I had to learn. Oh, I, I thought you meant you weren't going back to Florence. So, so you weren't going no, back to college. You wanted to stay in Florence. Right. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. And, uh, <laughs> ironically, going to Florence back then was like one fiftieth the cost of going to college. Um, you know, uh, it's not like, I don't know what it is now, but I think tuition was like a thousand dollars a semester. or something. It was something crazy. Wow. Like, you know, yeah, it was just, it was, it was run out of a, like an old shop and, and it was, it was just run by, um, you know, a guy who wanted to teach people painting. It was no frills. It was all business. And, um, so there wasn't a lot of overhead. And it was great. Hmm. So I stayed there. Um, and then I came back to Philly when I, when my, you know, I was kind of done there. My, my, the, my, my eventually, my, my wife, who we were not married then, but she wanted to come back to the States and my best friend wanted to come back and I just didn't want to stay there without them. So that's why I came back. Right. I just have to take a minute to thank each one of my generous patrons for your part in keeping this podcast going. I could not continue to do it without you, so thank you so much. If you're not a patron yet, but you love the show and you listen regularly, please consider becoming a patron. It's really easy to do, and it doesn't have to break the bank. Just head over to theundrapedartist.com and click on the link, Be My Patron on Podbean. And then choose a monthly donation amount that fits your budget. It's that simple. And to thank you for your generous donations, once you've reached $100 in total contributions, send me an email to theundrapedartist at gmail.com, and I will send you one of our spectacular undraped artist aprons. So is your wife an artist too then? Is it, did you meet her in Florence? She is. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. She is. Yep. Okay. What's her um, name? One, Carolyn Pyfro. Um, I have to look her she's up. She's mostly a, uh, a figure and portrait painter. Um, and so, yeah, she, she has a studio that's just above mine and, um, 
yeah, it's great. It's a good deal. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so then when you finished uh, at Florence, what was your next move? Um, back in with my mom was my next move. Um, okay. And, uh, so I didn't have I had not really thought about what I was going to do. I didn't have any plan. Um, and, uh, so both Carol and I came to Philly, um, and we rented studios and we just sort of tried to do, we just tried to pick up where we left off in Florence. Like we recreated the environment, the studio environment that was there. Um, we kept the same hours, we painted the same things. It was just like, how can we keep the Florence experience happening here in Philadelphia, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what we did for years. I mean, we got an apartment and had these other studios and stuff. Um, and then she started teaching uh, at PAFA. Um, and then I started teaching there and then we both started teaching there. Uh, and then, yeah, so we were just in Philly working in these studios and, uh, that was that. And eventually we, we, uh, bought this house where we are now and we have studios out here and I'm never leaving. Um, really? Because it's, yeah, we've just put so much into, I tell people that I'm moving out of here in a body bag because there's no way that I'm going to move otherwise, you know, like it's just, you know, you takes, you work so hard to get yourself situated in something that'll last and work long term. And, um, so I, this place is just too good of a setup, you know? Really? Can, can you expound yeah. on that a little bit? What is it about it that you don't think you could replicate easily? First of all, the neighborhood. Um, so we live in a part of Philly that's outside of the center and it's in a very hilly area. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a place that has been, you know, sort of it's had a few different attempts at gentrification. Um, and you know, it's an old working class mill town. Um, and because of the, uh, variety of uses of the buildings, like there were factory buildings and then there were, there were blocks of row homes and then somebody came in and bulldozed a bunch and built some condos, whatever. So the, the place is just madness, you know? Um, and that combined with the topographical, you know, the, the nature of the place is makes it visually very, very interesting. Hmm. Um, if, if you go downtown in Philly, it's, you know, it's a gridded planned city center city is buildings are the same height across everything. It's built on a perpendicular grid, all the same level. It visually, it's just unbelievably, well, I hate to say it's boring. I mean, you could, you could paint there, but it's not nearly as exciting to me as, as this place. Hmm. Um, I think it's like, this is like a little Italian hill town to me. This, so really, um, oh man, you're making me jealous. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's very, very cool. Um, so, you know, for a painter who cares about space and, um, you know, the, the, I guess sort of the gesture of, of space, uh, it's, it's just great. You know, there's nowhere else I'd rather live really. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's not, I assumed it was that you've built a studio that you don't want to start over or, or anything, but it's more well, about the location. Oh, it's that too. Yes. Yeah, so we actually bought the place because there were these two old, um, buildings in the back. Because Philly went through a, a phase when we were when we first got here, where all of the old industrial buildings were being rented out as studios, and they mm -hmm. were amazing. It, it was like three hundred bucks a month for this huge Northlight space. And, wow. But then the condo the condo boom came through and just like turned all those into condos, and there were all of a sudden there were no studios left. Um, and so it became clear that the only thing to do was to buy a house and build studios. So we do we do have studios, 
uh, in the back, which are great. I love my studio. I, I'm not in there now because my wife is working. And I didn't want to bother her. Oh um, man, it'd be fun to see but, it. So is the studio is an old building behind your house or something you built behind your house? It was an old building and then uh, we renovated it to be, you know, a studio basically. And has it got north windows or anything like that? My wife's part does. Um, my light is just all over the place. It's got like west and south, and then I have everything but north, actually. Yeah, but, but you're doing landscape me. anyway. So either you're outside or you're working from photos. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I paint a lot of interiors, actually. Um, I haven't been painting a lot of outdoor paintings um, uh, lately. That's true. You do um, a lot of interiors, yeah. But, yeah, it's funny. I've become much more... Um, you know, I guess hermetic is the word, like kind of like more and more making my, my, my arena of space, like smaller and smaller. Um, so, uh, I just like the, I like the apertures, like having all these different apertures, like to look out through, mm. um, and the chaos and I'm not a figure painter, so I don't need like the consistency of the light. I would actually get kind of, um, I don't think I really like the light if it were consistent, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's why she would get it. She's the figure painter. Yeah. So it works out yeah. good for you guys. Man, that's cool. You know, I don't know if you know, but I'm originally from upstate New York, just about 50 miles from the city. So when you talk about the rolling hills and the beautiful old neighborhoods, it's making me really homesick. So thanks for that, yeah. by the way. Uh, you're <laughs> now you're at and Let's maybe Maybe this is a good transition into your work. So let me pull up that. First of all, I mean, I wouldn't have you on the podcast if this wasn't the case, because I, I only get people that who I absolutely love their work. But I just have to tell you, I absolutely love your work. It is so, oh, so beautiful. And one of the things I love about it is I, I have this studio, you can kind of see it behind me, but it's all lit with blue light. Uh -huh. So it's not very, um, not the way it typically looks, but it's, uh, it's, it's, just a lot of stuff, a lot of tools, a lot of stuff. It's not one of those studios that's got a fireplace and a little sitting area like a lot of classical painters might have. And mm -hmm. I've often toyed around with the idea of doing interiors, but I'm like, but my studio is not pretty. And but yeah, that's one of the things I want to talk about with you is you take the most ordinary spaces. And in fact, beyond ordinary, frankly, that's a linoleum floor and a drop ceiling. I mean, could that be a less yeah. interesting space? And yeah, I yeah. want that painting in my house. And oh, you can have it. Thank you, man. I'll give you my address after. <laughs> um, it's so cool. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. First of all, what draws you to these ordinary spaces? And second, what is it that you believe is the key to making them less than ordinary in a painting? Um. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a philosophical question that, that gets into the painting. Um, so, and, and it gets a little bit back to the, the Florence thing. So, uh, you know, I, I went to Florence and everything there is like beautiful, you know, right. uh, and has character and just kind of feels full of life and history and all the things that make you feel good, you know, right. um, and it's charming. Uh, and, and then, you know, to come back, I came back to Philly and I was just like, what, like, what do I do with this? And I had the studio and I was really trying to 
basically, like I said earlier, kind of manipulate the world into looking like it did in Florence. Um, and, uh, you know, I was trying to make things that were beautiful, set up things that were beautiful and then paint them. Uh, and I found that I was just so, I had to be so closed to um, what was around me. You know, so much of my life was about trying to manage things that were not really in my control. Um, and I kind of think that one of the great blessings of, of painting or any kind of autonomous art um, is that, you know, you can, if you do it a certain way, there's really nothing that matters that's really beyond your control. Um, and so I, I hadn't seen work that I really liked that, that sort of addressed the, the world that I found myself in. Um, and then, so I, but then I started seeing it being made at PAFA. Um, I hadn't seen say the work of, um, I mean, I'd seen a little bit of something like Antonio Lopez a little bit, um, uh, or, you know, Richard Mowry was another person, but he lived in Florence. But but um, uh, but I hadn't I, I just hadn't seen people make this world. Uh, I didn't I didn't see how it could be beautiful, you know. And then mm. when you see somebody deploy their poetic powers um, on the on the world, it it just it becomes beautiful. I, and I actually I actually would say that. I'm not sure we would think Italy was so beautiful if not for like Corot having painted it. You know, you don't think I actually think, well, I mean, it's a, I think that a lot of the time until it's, things have been kind of given a form, um, it's Wait, hard are you to saying appreciate. form or forum? A form. Okay. Um, F-O-R-M. Yeah. I mean, cause I think it's hard to, see like because like, because the 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 place or the subject has to go through this kind of transformation into being into the realm of poetry i think and then when it's seen poetically then it gets like pushed back into the world like then you can experience the world that way hmm. um so uh that that's why I kind of had to see examples of this. And my friend, um, Scott Noel was a great example of this. He was just painting the stuff that was around and it was, it struck a chord. I thought, no, this has everything that I like about painting in it, but it's not of what I was used to painting. You know, Can we, um, before you go on, I want to, I want to address what you had said about whether or not Italy would be beautiful if it wasn't for Corot. Um, because I've thought a lot about that, you, you know, and you get these, I, I can't remember where I've seen them, but maybe on the internet or in magazines or something where people have this discussion about whether or not the way we perceive human beauty is a genetic thing that we're all programmed mm -hmm. with or whether it's cultural. I don't think anyone's ever solved sure. that question, but that you could apply the same thing to architecture and nature and frankly, anything. Is there yeah. something that we're all programmed to appreciate as being beautiful and we all agree on to a point. I mean, obviously there's gonna be outliers or isn't there? I don't know, I don't know. But here's the question with that in mind, if, well, first a statement of my, my own thoughts and then a question. So if this painting that I'm, is right here, it's beautiful and I would hang it in my house, but I don't care how long I look at this painting, I will never decorate my bathroom like that, right? Yeah, nobody would. But yeah. so, so 
And I hope that's not your bathroom and I didn't offend you. <laughs> no, no, no. It, well, I can tell you what, it is my bathroom and it doesn't offend me in the least. I'm actually one of those people. I actually, I actually don't believe in offense. That's so you're safe. In that, in well, that I, well, I apologize anyway, but I wouldn't intentionally decorate my bathroom with linoleum floors and drop sure. ceiling. But, but I would, if I saw a painting of certain areas in Europe, I would aspire to that right regardless of if it had been painted so i wonder i wonder why that is is it something is it because we've been programmed to see that or is it there's there something innate about the beauty of certain objects or certain proportions or something i mean what do you, have you thought much I, about I don't that? know uh yeah too much probably um i that i mean this is an, an age-old question you know what what of this is somehow um you know, I mean, it's sort of a nature nurture question, I suppose. Um, uh, yeah, I think though the the question of um, seeing something that's beautiful, like that thing out there is beautiful, and then trying to quite like capture it, you know, that's that's not painting to me. That's not how I I don't see painting that way for myself. It's um, uh, because I don't. There's nothing that I could imagine myself being able to capture. You know, I, I, there, there are, there's a feeling to the world that I suppose I'm trying to capture. Um, mm. But when I see, when I'm at, in Italy, for example, I'm not sure I would be able to in any way make a painting that would do justice to what, you know, what I, I like there. Um, and, I'll, you know, maybe it's just a total fear of, of failure. I mean, if you, if you see the thing and then you make something and you go, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't what I wanted to do. Um, so I see it much more as, as sort of making something kind of from the ground up. Um, yeah. So that's why I can't. I can't. So you're like maybe thinking start with low expectations and then you can only improve on it so pick a tabletop with nothing interesting on it and i can only make it better i'm not gonna well, fail well, <laughs> well sort of i mean so this is actually i i kind of reverse the um this is something about representational work that i think is maybe uh, maybe i think about a little differently than some folks is that the the, the notion is that the, the, there's the world out there like right and the world has these things in it and when i paint the world i am there's like there's what's real there's this objective truth to that uh and i'm going to then sort of select i'm going to i could just get it all on there and maybe kind of edit it out a little bit but um there is no editing because the way i see it is you have an you don't have the world you have an empty canvas like that's the fact that's the first fact mm. and the world is is material to you know it's it's to sort of to work with so to me the initial appetite it does have to do with what's there but the first fact is the is the painting you know and that's that's what i think you're trying to make into the new fact like you know the, right. the bathroom is anymore and so um so i don't I guess it to me it's about about seeing painting painted possibility, you know, um, and I, I I liken it a lot to um, what I imagine a good stand up comedian is like, because, you know, if you know somebody who's really funny, and they're always telling stories about th stuff that happened to them, 
and you think, well, just this funnier stuff happens to them, but it doesn't. It's the same stuff that happens to you. It's just that, you know, you don't have the, the lens on it to see how funny it could be. Oh, that's you know? a great analogy. I like that. And so that's, that's what I would call poetic power. Like, is your, um, what can you do with this? You know, right. like how, you know, what can you make out of this that would actually redeem the banality of the, what it literally is, you know? Um, and that's why, you know, some of the funniest things you'll ever hear are just stories about like grocery shopping or something like that. You yeah. Know? That makes me think and of so, this person I follow who plays the spoons. I wish I remembered her name, but she just hits spoons together and she's like some bluegrass musician and it's freaking cool. And, yeah. and she takes just the most ordinary things and makes the most, the coolest music. I wouldn't call it beautiful. It's just, uh, it's different. It's, it's bluegrass. No one calls, well, do people call bluegrass beautiful? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah. That, it, that's that's a great analogy you know and one other thought comes to mind is this is totally different than than the way of thinking of say the hudson river school artist or at least one artist who i named my son after thomas cole mm. who i think it was him who said who felt like his job the or the, he felt like god was the ultimate artist and everything beautiful has been made it's like the landscape is the most beautiful thing it's made it's divine and his job is just to do it justice. I'm totally paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly mm -hmm. how to put it. But and yours, yours seems like a more contemporary perspective, which I also like. Yours is, well, it doesn't matter what the world looks like because the ultimately the object that matters is the finished painting. And I'm just picking and choosing things in the world almost at random and then and then letting the painting be its own thing. And that's what matters. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 true. Um, I would say though that I am I'm very much after what I what I quote unquote see um, the feeling that that I have or the the you know it's not I don't I don't like to say what I see because people really what they mean when they say that is they're really talking about what foot like what a photograph would see right um, and uh, I have a I just you know, photography in my work has like, I, I just wouldn't even know what to do with the photograph. Like it, it, it just has, it doesn't have anything of what I'm interested in painting in it. Um, wait a minute. That does, wait, you have to be using a photograph here cause you're using wide angle lenses, aren't you? Or are you doing this with perspective? No, I'm just standing there or in the case yeah, of the bathroom out of town, in, in, the case, in the case of the bathroom, literally sitting on the toilet. Shut up. Wait a minute. All these curves you're doing with perspective drawings? Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing separate drawings of it, but I'm doing it by with a with my understanding and my kind of um what do you call it? Like a, a way of of thinking about space and perspective that that um that makes it possible to inco incorporate an enormous amount of space um into a smaller, you know, like, like, you what? know, traditional. You just yeah. blew my mind. I honestly was going to ask you what millimeter or what focal length lens you've been using. You had no, me convinced no, no, no. that you were shooting with a fisheye or like a 14 millimeter lens or something. And then using, dude, you are, I, I'm impressed. I don't, even, I don't own a camera, but, but, I don't, but that's, Whoa, but that's, that is that's so why, freaking cool. I love it. Well, but, 
but it's it's this is you know what what happens is like okay when you're somewhere when i find myself in a space right and i'm yeah. like oh like because when i'm sitting somewhere you know you're seeing into areas you're feeling the bigness of the space and then you're seeing details and then you're kind of tunneling down another space that being somewhere is this really wild experience of um of i don't even know how to explain it but of overlapping sensations and and you know you're conceptualizing one form and then it's kind of merging with something else um and so so how do you paint that you know because it has it has as much to do with your the way you pay attention um to certain things uh as it does anything else so what i do is i put the canvas in the space and then i paint like it basically what you have to do is you have to kind of like look up and look you know you have to look around and then as yeah. you pull those as you pull those various perspectives onto the canvas they they naturally form a um what what looks like you know a fish eye well for you they um, do i mean i mean well, they, would, no, they would this, for anyone this, if you could if you had one the the mental capacity to put those images together on a two-dimensional surface Two, the training three the understanding i mean there's more to it it doesn't just happen automatically you, you you've got some knowledge and some skill to put that together that's not easy to do well um i mean i don't have um i actually don't really have much i would that I would call like formal knowledge but i i mean i from painting a lot and from trying to do the things, uh, you know, you get a certain amount of experience. And I think I do have maybe a, um, a slightly above average knack for structure and perspective. I yeah. mean, I think I, I, really, no, I think I really should way, have been way above average, way above average. Well, I mean, like, the, the thing that I like, if I really, if I weren't a painter, I'd be a carpenter. I mean, I yeah. think this is my nature. Um, and it sort of runs in my family. My dad, you know, can design stuff. My brother's an, an architect. So there's just, mm -hmm. I have a feeling, um, and I have a feeling, I think, for the way that forms, you know, move and relate to each other in space. Um, yeah. That, that, and I don't mean feeling like a talent, but I mean, like, I just, I, I just, I feel it, you know? Um, well, these skills so, are literally uh, part of IQ tests. I mean, this is not. Oh, they, oh yeah. I have a very low IQ. You did not. You didn't take an IQ test. No one takes IQ test. I did. I you did. have a I low IQ? Know what it is, but, uh, well, uh, <laughs> it was implied. Not. It was implied by the by, uh, by by actually my parents. But um, well, you but, must. Uh, have, I don't. You I, had to have done well on the shape. I mean, I've only taken them on the internet, and they, those don't count. But that's the only reason I know what they kind of look like. But. Um, but I mean, they have different sections and maybe you failed in like the reading section or something or the memory section, well, but in the spatial section, yeah, I know it's just a test, but spatially your quote unquote IQ, let's just call it your spatial intelligence instead of IQ has got to be pretty high. I mean, because, you know, I, it reminds me of Kim Jong-gi. Do you know Kim Jong-gi? No. Well, he's a comic book artist that died recently. He's, a, he's like, I don't know how old you are, but he's like my age and he just had a heart attack. It's the saddest thing ever. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and, but he makes stuff up out of his head and he does these crazy fisheye perspectives with, with line work, with ink. And he'll start on the upper corner of an eight foot piece of paper 
and start with a hand and end up with an entire mural with ink and never make a mistake in fisheye yeah. perspective. Yeah. It's insanity. Yeah. And, and this guy's genius. Yeah. But you, now that I know you're not using photos, in a way, it's like you're doing a similar thing except from observation, um, but in paint. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to put together, I think, the kind of, it, or should I, should I, the kind of, um, what would it be called? Something about the best feeling, the best experiences that I have being somewhere, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I'm very moved by just kind of exploring spaces and seeing the things that are in them and maybe kind of imagining that, you know, the, the kind of the implication of act of human activity. Yeah. Um, this has always been interesting to me. Um, and I just find that sort of fascinating. Like I, I look back into the recesses of my studio and I see these little things back there and I'm like, Oh, that's so interesting. It's its own little world, but it's also part of this other big world. And then I can look out the window and, you know, how do I do some kind of, um, justice to how rich the experience could be if you are sympathetic to it you know yeah um and so i'm just so moved by that 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 i i mean i i'll i feel like all the time yesterday i was working on this thing and i probably didn't really do anything to it i, I but i was convinced that like i was just really in the world you know um and it's one of those feelings that that is so convincing when you have it that you think this has got to be the right thing. This has got to be right. You know, I just, you couldn't feel something that strongly and it could be completely, you know, completely wrong, you know? Um, hmm. And so that's, I guess I'm just trying to put together that and I'll use whatever necessary in terms of like, you know, thinking about the space and organizing things and letting things move around to try to get at some semblance of that feeling. You know, that's, yeah, I'm looking at the painting and, and listening to what you're saying and I see it, but another thing on a, on a different level is while you are observing, it's interesting how much you're playing with textures and edges that aren't there. So on one hand, right. you're really exploring the space and trying to capture and the essence of the space on the other hand you're moving away from what's in the space and thinking about two-dimensional surface for example it's like you right. get this crazy crisp line right here where you'd predict it to be and then right along this window edge the light just spills in like you spilled the blue paint on the canvas yeah. which is just yeah. really a bold move that if you were simply trying to capture the space you wouldn't do because it's not there it's totally right you're totally right. And well, and I would actually argue that nothing's there, really. I mean, yeah, that's painting is the world is the world. Um, but uh, that that's the trick, I think, is how do you um, how can you employ the expressive resources of painting? And they are a fit. There was there are formal resources that painting has and the shapes and the flat life of the picture is to me, that's where it happens. Um, hmm. you know, it's, it's something about the, the locking in of this three-dimensional experience into, um, a constellation of, of two-dimensional shapes and gestures, and textures that, um, 
that's what the art of painting is to me. Um, and so the, the, the real magic for me in, in, in all art um, is, is the way that whatever the form is, so whether it's film or music or sculpt, whatever, the way that it lives a dual life, that it, that it sits right on this boundary between what it refers to and what it is. So that like the, you're, you're simultaneously aware of this experience that's being referenced or being elicited by the, you know, like the, of being in a room or of whatever the thing is trying to talk about in the world. And then the sort of basic um, material fact of what you're dealing, what you're looking at, paint on canvas or bronze in the, in the sculptural form or something like that. Um, and so that, you know, the way that, that the language of painting can inter intersect with the, like the reality of experience to me is that's just, that's the whole game, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm very, I guess what I'm saying is that it's every bit as much about aesthetic desire as it is about what quote unquote, what's there. Right. So obviously composition is important to you because you have beautiful compositions and I don't think it's an accident, but you're also painting something that's there. And, you know, I, I assume there is a motorcycle on a lift and I assume there, there are is. canvases and tools and a toolbox and all that. Yeah. So but how do you I've balance also... documenting the space with controlling the composition? Because you can't move mm. the staircase. I mean, can you, yeah. or do you, I mean, well, how do you, how do you compose once you've chosen a space or is at that point, that composition over, like it's choosing the space, the yeah. composing element. Mm, that's a good, that's actually something that I really struggled with. Um, so initially I think the choosing, like the, the sort of what I would call the, the, the big spatial arrangement of like, say the volume of the room or the, whatever the sort of different journeys of space there might be like out a window or up a flight of stairs and then back into the front or whatever it is that sort of feels that when i start like okay that's just set you know okay and like do anything about that i've been less i've been i've been letting the control of that go i think lately um but the objects especially they just they live in the space so that i don't i don't, I don't try to keep the space the same way um and so you know, as things, as I'm painting, as a certain thing registers with me as potentially interesting, um, it starts to work its way into the painting. Um, and what do you mean? The thing, well, give me an example. Well, so, um, you know, like the water bottle that's over on the, with the orange cap. It's yeah, that is printer. cool. So, you know, I didn't put that there. Um, but as I was working, you know, I start the day out thinking, oh, I'm going to work on whatever that little monitor there. And of course, anything that I tell myself I'm going to work on is guaranteed not to get touched. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, my, I kind of happen upon this other event that just looks really exciting and something that I couldn't have thought of, which is the water bottle. And so I just kind of, oh, look at that. So I just grab, grab the, you know, the orange that I can mix up and slap it on there. And, you know, just because it surprises me and I want to, and I want to sort of grab that surprise when I, when it's available. So I, the, the things really just enter the painting um, as they kind of call out, I guess, through the experience of painting. 
Um, so the light will change and it will hit something in a way and push a contrast that I had never seen before. And, and I get the feeling that maybe that would, you know, like really just wake up that area of the painting. And I happen to have a color that's suitable for the, for the sunlight on my brush. So it's like these crazy, you know, um, uh, set of almost random circumstances that would cause something to happen. Um, that's how the painting gets made really with a, um, and, and it's very chaotic in that sense. Yeah, um, it would be. And so I'm looking at this thinking, okay, how would I paint this? This is what I do when I look at my guest paintings. I'm trying to imagine how I would accomplish it. And my biggest struggle would be chasing this light because it's not north. I don't know what direction it is, but it's moving because it's direct. And uh, you can't just make this stuff up. And my, my thought is, okay, well, maybe it's consistent in the ceiling. Maybe you can get it relatively consistent back here in, in the shadowy areas. Mm -hmm. But what do you do about this stuff? The, the, light, the light that's spilling in through the window and the objects yeah. that it's hitting. How do you manage that when you're working day after day after well, day? You can make it up. Oh, are you serious? Actually, yeah, because, I mean, look, the, the light, nothing in that painting there's no situation, single situation that that painting represents. And there's no single light source, no, not source, but there's no single light moment that that painting represents. There is a certain kind of logic that to the way light, just the way you would think about, don't you think about when light hits a head, you yeah. have a kind of con concept of how things, what I would call, I would call it like a mental model yeah. of, of what you're expecting, right? right. And then what you do, Think we're doing when we look at something is we're pushing that model up against observation um and so you know like sunlight it, you know it hits something it's going to obey certain angles relative to the to what's blocking it and you know you find that um when it when the sunlight gets closer to a wall that it has a lot more reflected light up in the wall there you know and yeah so you just these things happening and and you can kind of cut and paste them and and you can kind of you can kind of imagine them um and you it's a the, the painting is a hodgepodge of of a million different um uh sort of moments like that uh so it's not it's really surprised at least my understanding of it it's, it's actually not very complicated um which also know, makes it more I, authentic because you haven't just captured one moment you've captured basically infinite moments right and that's that that to me works much more naturally and and um i think i found myself fighting with this idea that what i was trying to get was this moment there was a moment and i was going to get that and but i now i realize i certainly i just don't experience my life as moments you know mm. like i just don't i mean I have, it's the experience is much more cumulative. Um, and I, I liken this to, if I asked you say what, you know, what, uh, what your kid looks like, right? You have a, you, you would recognize your kid. And if the, if something was a millimeter off on your kid, you'd be like, what, what is wrong with that? Like, that's not right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you couldn't tell me like what view it is that you would recognize them from. Like you don't have a single view of them that you could say yeah i know exactly what they look like in this it's your your mental picture of that likeness 
is is not limited to any moment. It's a cumulative. It's a it's a cumulative thing, right? Well, not that only that, but that this is another great analogy. You're really good at analogies, by the way. But not only that, but if I were trying to imagine my kid and draw them from imagination, not only is it not limited to a single position, but I don't think I could actually totally visualize a single position. That right, exactly. Yeah, That's, strange. And so, yeah, it's very weird. Um, and so, I I just found myself and trying to um, try to paint in a way that, that that just didn't require as much of a fight, where I didn't feel like it was. I was just kind of fighting with all these things that were, uh, you know, that, that like changing light and changing, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and um, just trying to do something that felt natural and and felt not not easy, but just didn't feel like the kind of struggle. I mean, it's a struggle only in the sense that it's exhausting, but um, I don't like the feeling of, of that I'm like fighting with it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing Jeff's online mentorship program for about a year now, and it is awesome. Everything is online, super streamlined. If you can be there, I mean, you have the ability to talk to him once a week and he can review your work and help you. If you can't be there, it's pre-recorded. You can go back and even re-watch things if you missed something during class or couldn't be there. So the online portion of it is almost better than real life because you can always go back to it, which is awesome. The demos are recorded. It's just like all available whenever you need it. And I'm a stay-at-home mom of four and my time is limited and it's also very interrupted. And so to be able to go back has been clutch for me. And you get to work with Jeff Hine, who's awesome. He's tough. The assignments are simple, but difficult. And they're difficult to make us all better. And he's able to give us these assignments coaches through it, help us stay excited to progress. And so it's just been a great experience. I am so grateful that he has been willing to take time away from his own art to offer all of us to have it. So if you're thinking about doing it, it's amazing. If you're interested in learning more about how you could study with me, either online or in person, check out heinatelier.com. That's H-E-I-N dot -E com. Yeah. You know, one thing I learned uh, that's related to this is, uh, well, I, I learned it from film, from from uh, people who do lighting for films. I've been doing, watching a lot of YouTube videos and stuff on it because I'm, uh, as you may know, I do multi-figure painting and, and what mm -hmm. I do is I build oh. little maquettes and... Uh, and then I put little figures in the maquettes and then I light it and so on and so forth. But oftentimes if you light it the way, the way you think natural light actually would exist. So let's say in, mm. in the case of the one I'm doing right now, I want this stream of light coming through a hole in the ceiling and illuminating the figures within. If I just have a single mm. light source like the sun, it's not that interesting. So I've got, I've got seven lights on this mm. on this particular maquette in order to make it look like a sunny day in this old Jewish 
house, there's seven uh. lights to represent one light. And it looks yeah. freaking cool. It looks so much more so that, real than when I have one light. That's what's so funny. Cause like it's, yeah, this exact same thing. Like if, if you have one light, you are like following the literal logic of sun. Right. right? But somehow the literal logic is not, um, it's not up to the task. No, <laughs> you know? I know like, that's exactly what it was. I'm like, this isn't working. This looks terrible. But now it looks yeah. like if, if you looked at it, I'd show you, I'd show you, but I can't cause I haven't painted it yet. But it's, if you looked at it, you'd be like, whoa, that looks exactly like a sunny day coming through the windows. It's, but it's not, it's seven different lights. So is it the small scale environment that you make? Yeah. It's one twelfth scale or one sixth scale. Okay. Yeah. So do you make a little, like you, you make maquettes of the figure and do you make, um, like a model of the space, like a shadow box. Here, let, let me models. show you. Hold on one sec. Yeah, I got it. So I don't have I don't have a way to show you the actual maquette with my camera set up here, but I will show you one of the figures. It's just these little figures that I bought ages ago. See? Uh, yeah. So and I just made little costumes for them. Yeah, I make the clothes for them. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> this is what I do. Anyway, and then I build the whole house and put them in the house. And the house, I build it. I kind of go over the top and make it look as real as possible. And then yeah. and then I paint from that. And um, it's fun. It's almost as fun as the well, painting. The, well, I was going to say, let me ask you this. You were saying that sometimes it's hard to get yourself to paint. Is it ever hard to get yourself to make the maquettes? Because I bet that's pretty fun. Uh, no, but the reason, I think the reason why is because I do it so much less than painting. So oh, okay. it really does come down to boredom. Anything that I, anything that I do more than 25 hours a week, I get bored. <laughs> but with maquettes, yeah. it's once every six months, once a year, I make a maquette. So I'm like super excited. Okay. But by the time I'm done, I'm done. I'm like, I don't want to do another maquette. Oh, okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, short attention span. That's the, that's the curse I deal oh, with. Oh, hey, man. I got that too. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough. Okay, so another question I have about your paintings. You, you had, I don't know if you actually said you don't do perspective drawings or not. I can't remember, but I noticed that you have all this line work, these ruled lines throughout. And then, and then in your drawings, I noticed something interesting. Uh, let me see. I'll pull one of these up where I saw it. Um, you had numbers right here or you have little tick, oh, yeah, tick was... marks not numbers but tick marks yeah. there was one where i saw numbers so tell me a little bit about this process what is it you're doing to get um to get that space uh so this was the drawings are from a few years ago when i first started to really try to do these um like really big spaces and mm -hmm. i felt there was just so there was so much there was changing by such a huge amount. It was so hard to deal with the the all the space that I had to just hash it out in graphite for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then I was actually transferring those drawings um, and then painting. But uh, and then I would I would let the I would let it change if I if I wanted to during the painting process. But um, it was just so when you're doing that and when the, when the view is so far outside of your, you know, of your, when you have to turn your body, for example, you know, significantly to capture part of it, 
you're moving like the the you're moving things by inches. I mean, I'm not talking like centimeters. Like I'd be moving huge things, like really big distances to try to get them to fit into the painting. And so I had to do that for a while. And now I stopped, I stopped doing it because um, I just started to enjoy kind of just jumping right into it uh, and hashing it out in paint. Um, okay. So I'm not really. So, but what, what do these little numbers and what did those tick marks represent? Was that, was that part of the perspective drawing process? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or sometimes, sometimes I, um, like if I, if I, if I run into a pattern or like bricks or something like that, I have this kind of perverse interest in counting them out. Oh, um, okay. But, but it's not, it's not to be accurate. It's just that there's something very mesmerizing about that process to me. Um, and I also like, in, as a graphic idea, I'm just attracted to this idea of like kind of imprinting something that's so flagrantly unillusionistic, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in into the fabric of the surface somehow. So I really, it's it's just a kind of, I don't know, it's a habit. Okay, but so on the paintings again, I still see them, lines here and there. They, oh, it's a and vanishing point. I don't know, like a diagonal here yeah. in graphite. Is this you trying to map it out as well? Yeah, the, I, I draw. I have to draw like mad. In fact, I think most of my time is spent doing something that I would refer to as drawing. Um, you know, it's not that it's done with a pencil necessarily, but it's trying to, uh, you know, fig find out where I want things to be. Uh, and what their sort of two-dimensional and three-dimensional relationships are on the canvas. Mm. Um, and there's, there's a kind of reciprocal process between what I would call like drawing and painting, where there's, a, a, I, I feel the impetus to make a mark, right, to locate something uh, in, in space or on the canvas. And then as soon as that mark is made, it starts to, like a shape kind of gets generated out of that in its relationship to other marks. And as soon as I start to feel a shape, I have this impulse to register that shape with color. Mm -hmm. And so there's a back and then like, and, and sometimes I'll see a I'll see a color relationship and it's striking and I'll have the impulse to register that. And so I'll slop a color on there. And then as soon as I do that, that color starts to ask to be a shape, you know, and then so it starts to it's like the drawing leads to the color leads to the drawing leads to the color. It's just always going mm. like that. So um, that the the marks are just my totally honest attempt to um, find locations for things um, based on a all all kinds of different criteria, mm -hmm. perspective, optical measurement, you know, shape design. You know, it's no. I try not to let any one of those categories have a tyrannical hold on the painting yeah um you know like i'll put it if the if the it, it, it's totally possible that like there's an alignment it happens all the time to me that there's a kind of tangency or an alignment in the space that is totally unhelpful mm -hmm. um you know but it's measurably accurate um or there's an angle in the perspective if i stick with one particular perspective approach that um you know steams like weirdly abrupt even though it's quote unquote accurate like i have no problem making that into what works because 
those relationships on the canvas to me are as real as the relationships out there in the world. Um, and so it's not even like, I just let all of that, all of those um, criteria work their way into the, into the um, decision-making process, basically. Okay, so that goes back to my question earlier about handling composition and also honoring the space. So you are moving things on occasion in order to serve the design. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, it's all a game because, yeah. uh, because first of all, I've never stood anywhere, closed one eye and kept my head in the same place for like two seconds in my life. Right. So I don't, that's very weirdly unnatural, I think. Um, and so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm experiencing a thing and like, sometimes I'm looking over there and the thing overlaps a certain way. And sometimes I'm looking over there and it, it's different. So, um, you know, mm. I want it to, so all of that is fair game as far as I'm concerned, you know? So this could even be three different perspectives forced into one perspective. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, and, that's wild. But, but none of it is, I don't, I, I don't think any of it is, um, none of it is artificial in the sense that it all seems they are all, they're all experiences of the space that I, that I, can have and that I do have. Right. Um, it's just that there are so many different like ways that you can experience angles, even depending on how you orient your body. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So you may need, you, you talked about how you have this urge to separate the different bricks or tiles or whatever, but you may need a shrink, yeah. I'm afraid, because this you totally notched out for all these tiles and then you didn't paint the tiles. Yeah. You know, what's funny. I actually worked <laughs> painting again. You did. And I did paint. Oh, you did. But that's, yeah. But, but you know, that's so much. Um, I mean, you talked about ADD. I mean, man, I'll get excited about something and I'll lose interest in, in like two seconds. <laughs> yeah. Wander off the path. Um, so I mean, all of that, I've just decided to let all of that show. Um, and I mean, metaphorically and literally, uh, you know, I, I try to have that kind of frank approach about, um, about the way I make the things and hopefully about the way I, you know, the way I am, um, because I just, it's a much more comfortable way to live. It's a much more comfortable way to paint, to not feel like I'm trying to appear a certain way. Um, yeah. You know, it, like I'm not cleaning up my house for you, basically, is what I'm saying. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Seems really now, liberating. It is, but you know, it can have its, it can be its own form of, of self-consciousness too, though. You can start to want to look like somebody who doesn't care. You oh, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm prone to that too, to being like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm orchestrating this thing where, so where you think I'm not orchestrating anything. <laughs> no. Right. It's, it's really weird. I don't know. It's great. And this is sort of maybe sort of a weird compliment, but it's great how in, in touch you are with your own response to your paintings and yourself. Like you're very, you seem very aware of all of the emotions that are going on in your head about your work. Which I, which I think um, is cool. I mean, it's, I think it serves your work well, and it does add authenticity to it. I guess I, I got to the point where it just wasn't a choice. I mean, both, 
um, like on a personal, like personally and and from a painting point of view, um, it, what life was just too hard if if I'm trying to um, be something that I really wasn't, you know, I, mm -hmm. it, it, I just I couldn't I couldn't I guess I couldn't open myself up to that possibility of failure um, that I could want to be something and then that I might not be able to do that. So I kind of went for the feeling that, well, if I have no, if there's no other virtue, at least I'll be honest about it, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, and then it's a lot, it's liberating because you don't, um, if you can accept, and this is the hardest thing I think is if you can accept that people might not understand you, which is a terrifying thing, I think, like personally, um, that then you can be liberated, you know, but it's very, very hard to um to really have you know to say like i'm gonna I'm, I'm okay with this like i'm okay with with what i like i'm okay with what i make you know it, it's it, because we want to be accepted you know like mm -hmm. i desperately want i desperately want people to like what i do um but the more i do that the less in touch i am with what i like hmm. Okay, that brings up some thoughts, though. I mean, because you maybe you're not like this, but do you know what you like? In other words, um, mm. a lot of artists I've talked to, and I'm definitely one of them, is are really hard on their work, and they they don't necessarily they they. It's like let let me put it from my own perspective. So. I keep going back to the same brushwork. It's like I've got, it's like the way I walk, it's the way I move, it's my mannerisms. It's, uh, and I keep going back to it, even though I'm perfectly capable of mimicking other artists. So I know mm -hmm. that's pretty authentic and I'm trying not, and I don't fight it, I just let it be. But I don't necessarily like what it is. You know, I'd rather mm. look like Joe Schmo or Peter or, you know what I mean? I'd rather look at like yeah. those artists than what I do but in the name of authenticity, I stick with what comes out naturally. I mean, do you ever deal well, with that? Yeah, I think that's all. I'm I mean, I, it's very, very hard because I think eventually you just, I think if you work long enough at, at this stuff, certain things just won't go away. You know, they just mm -hmm. won't. Mm -hmm. And you got to stop fighting them. And, and they, um, you can't, yeah, there's some things that you just whatever that you may want to change about yourself that you that you may never change, and uh, I think we all have that to to a, some degree. I I think you know I think I might actually have a, a worse case of sort of my like um, set point for self esteem may be lower than most people, but so I'm constantly like feeling like no, I don't want to be like this, I want to be like that, you know? Right, um, right. But uh, no, I know. I it's like the worst thing. Like everything you make, you feel like God. It looks like I made it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. It's like <laughs> looking at your own face. You know, you're never going to appreciate yeah. it. Well, um, that's why I say self-portraiture is the meanest thing you can do. Because <laughs> seriously, you have to because you have to accept that not only can you not paint well, but you look weird as well at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> too much. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's so true. Oh man, especially when you're like me and you do self portraits really rarely. And the last one I yeah. did, 
I did one maybe 15 years ago, and then I did one again about a year ago, and I'm like, holy piss, my face aged. It's oh, like, I won't even look at <laughs> I'm like, where's all this fat coming from? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know, man. Yeah, anyway. All right. Um, okay, so let's look at a couple more of your paintings and maybe um, if there's anything you'd like to talk about. Okay, a question. So mm -hmm. you're not setting up the space. Mm -hmm. Well, before I ask this question, I actually want to go to your other work, to this awesome page called Ancient, which I find really hilarious. Mm -hmm. And this is the stuff that's clearly influenced by your training, where you're mm -hmm. like, I want to paint, or not necessarily I want to, but I was taught to paint classical beauty, seek after classical beauty, find them quote unquote beautiful scenes. And as I looked at this, I thought, holy crap, has he shifted big time. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah this is totally Florence Academy student type stuff. But then yeah. I want to go to your next page, archive. And, uh, and in this one, you start to see your evolution where you're not quite doing bold things with edges yet, but you're starting to, at least not as bold, but you're starting to think mm -hmm. about texture. You're starting to mm -hmm. think about ordinary spaces and then back to your regular work or your current work. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, now you're thinking about edges. You're thinking about, you, you already moved to your own spaces, but now you're thinking about breaking edges and interesting textures and um, maybe even now you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect you're, you're experimenting with more extreme perspectives, moving things around more. Okay. So that brings me, correct me if any of those things are wrong. Is my analysis no, accurate? Okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's right. Okay. And then I get to that one. Oops. I just passed it. And I think, okay, but are you ever staging like you might've at Florence Academy? at all or do you actually have a skeleton right next to your motorcycle i have a skeleton that occasionally finds itself next to my motorcycle yes oh, that's a trip and, okay and that's, it's not a joke question yeah. i mean it sounds like a, a long explanation a long analysis for a stupid question but my the it's not to me what i want to know is is there ever a point where it's okay to stage a scene or is it always about just finding the scene and and being true to the space that you live in uh, it's always okay to stage it i think because i should say though i will put stuff like if you go to the corner of that table that's very close to you there yeah. like right at the sharp yeah so like i that that at the very core the very near corner of that had been giving me trouble like over to the right a little bit there yeah so that was that was just formally really really a problem for me and this painting doesn't look like this anymore um, because I took a, I took an object and put it there because I had to do something about that corner. So I'll do that all the time. Like I'll move, I'll push stuff around to try to get something to solve a, a formal problem all the time. And the skeleton, I'm sure I moved that skeleton so that it met the window at the right place so that the head wasn't, you know, I'm doing that all the time. The okay. question to me, the trick about setting up to me is, do you, as the painter, believe it? You know what I'm saying? Wait, and, what do you mean? Do you believe the space is, is truthful or the painting is truthful? Do you believe what yourself when you're putting it up there? Or do you feel like you're faking it? 
Oh, I see what you're saying. So like, I never eat Arby's. So uh, this is a stupid example, but I never eat Arby's. So I wouldn't put an Arby's bag there because it's not true to my environment. Yeah, right. And, and, and some people, for example, have a very strong, uh, a very, most people probably have a very rich narrative, um, you know, life about, you know, myth and uh, whatever, you know, like, or, or what, or religion or, or, and this is a real, that they feel this the same way I feel space, right? Right. And so they go to set up a, a composition. This is, uh, this, this is, they believe this. And that's what comes across in the work. What comes across in the work is not whether or not it's true. It's whether or not you believe it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's, that's what you're getting. So now, so what everybody believes in, is different, you know, like, and, and so I, if I were to set up a still life like my, if I, let's say my teacher is a was a figure painter, still is, um, and you know I wanted desperately to be like him, okay, and I in a lot of ways I still do, um, and he was painting figures, right, and so I naturally I think um, sort of took on his ambitions as my own. I thought oh I want to paint figures too. I would go and I would try to set up basically what were really his paintings. And then after a while, I couldn't believe myself anymore. Mm. And that's not because that's not because painting figures, set up figures is not real. It's, it's not real for me, you know. And so his paintings of set up figures, I really like. I don't like my paintings of set up figures <laughs> because right. it's not really what I am. And so when I'm setting things up, I, I really believe it. Like when I take a an object and I throw it somewhere, um, I, I, I have such strong feelings about that, that I should do that, that I, I believe it. And that's what, that's the manipulation just has to do with, I think what you really, what you really believe is the right thing to do, I guess. So okay. I move this stuff all the time. I gotcha. So just to make sure I understand. So you, you, it would be against your own personal rules to take down these power tools and put up a bunch of antique hand planes and draw knives and whatnot, because it's not part of your personal narrative. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I could have, I, I don't think I could find the interest in that. I'm not, I don't have a genuine interest in that. Um, I have a genuine interest in, in taking the kind of formal analysis that I learned in Florence and bringing it to bear on, you know, a, a, an orbital sander. That's what's interesting to me. Right. Know? Right. Okay. That's so interesting to me. But uh, is it interesting to you because it's part of your life or is it interesting yeah. to you because it's contemporary? It, well, it's interesting to me because, um, it's a little incongruous at, at first. Um, but it's interesting to me because what it does is it shows how, um, language and, and sort of visual poetry is not really attached to, to like the literal thing that you can, that, that just as light moves across, um, you know, uh, a, a, um, a, a beautiful hand plane. So does light move across a Bosch, um, you know, router orbital sand. Yeah. Orbital sand. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what's interesting to me. It's like if you if you move into these painting and and and, and sort of um, you know aesthetic categories of shape and volume 
and space and gesture and light, then what it means for something to become a subject changes, like, because everything has those qualities, you know, like, and that's what makes, for me, that's what makes it possible for everything in the world to be meaningful. Because then it's up to you to bestow meaning on it through your efforts. And that's what, that's where the, the commitment is very philosophical because I really don't want to live in a world where there are beautiful things and not beautiful things, where there's some kind of like, um, either you, you lucked out uh, or you didn't. Like that's not, I don't think I could live like that. And I want to live in a world where, where what's really worthwhile is somehow accessible um, to us. You know, uh, I just, it's mm. all I can deal with emotionally. <laughs> okay, that, this stuff all makes sense, totally. But I'm still not sure I understand your motives, though. Is, is it, so are you choosing the orbital sander over the antique hand plane because it provides a challenge of, of creating beauty with the way light falls over it because beauty is in everything? You know, I mean, basically what, what you had just elaborated yeah, on. Yeah. Or is it, the, is it the personal challenge of making something that we all perceive as ordinary, like the Bosch sander? Or is it because you have a connection with those objects that is more authentic to you? That's where I'm all confused. It's all of that. So it's the personal challenge and the connection. And the aesthetic, yeah, it's exactly all those things. Because now if I did have a, if, if there were a, whatever, a hand, a nice antique hand plane there and I, that was mine, I had it, I'd paint it. Okay, I say, okay like, that answers no, my question. But it wouldn't know, be authentic if you went out and bought one to put in your painting exactly. because that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to capture your personal narrative through yeah. your living spaces and environment. Right, that's right. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Man, I love that. Absolutely love that concept. And it's what I love about it too is you also live near uh, Carlo Russo. I don't know, do you know I Carlo? I do. Yeah, I you guys do. couldn't it's have Carlo different philosophies. You couldn't be more different. I and yet I love both of your work. So. It's it's just awesome how art is just so diverse and beautiful across all these different planes and ideas. Yeah, Carlo, it's so interesting that you mentioned Carlo because Carlo was one of the first people that I came in contact with when I first came to, back to Philly. He and I had studios right next to each other. Oh, no way. And, yeah, and you couldn't find somebody who has a more different approach to that, to that than I do. But yet, I think his work is incredibly moving, yeah. and I love it. It's extraordinary, um, and it really, it's just astonishing. And and I would love to have one of those paintings in my house because what I get from that is what he really feels strongly about, right? You know? And that's off the painting. Yeah, it's like you said about your teacher. You'd probably love to have one of his figure paintings too, but you're not comfortable yeah. painting paintings like that. It's just not you. Right. Yeah. Oh, I am. Yeah. 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 I know. Mean, I can imagine. So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about Carlo and I'm like, he's probably got antique. He's probably got rooms full of antique stuff and all the stuff he's collected at flea market. You know, not probably. He said he did flea markets and everything else. And you're just like, well, I'm taking a dump right now. And this environment is pretty interesting. Maybe I'll just paint it. <laughs> yeah. <That's> <laughs> Yeah. Like, could you yeah. could you guys be more different? <laughs> no, it's 
You know, it's really funny. I don't know if you know a guy. There's a guy who I went to school with named Toby Wright, who is one of my favorite people know. in the world. And he um, he does these like epic. You know, he goes to the Arctic to paint, and he goes all over the place. He's one of my best friends. And he and I joke about how like the lengths he goes to to find something to paint. And I like I barely get out of bed to find. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty comical if you think about it. Yeah. But it's also well, like I, magic because. This is incredible. It's just so ordinary and so incredible. I have an old house too, and I see these kind of windows every day. Yeah. And I've yeah. never thought to paint them. Another artist well, that you probably like is uh, Zoe Frank. She has oh, a similar. Zoe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Hers is obviously house. different, but she does a lot of ordinary too, like her radiator series and stuff, which yeah. is really incredible. Yeah, it's always a force of nature. I, don't, I mean, she's on a whole different plane. Um, but it is, you know, it has to do, I think, with the feeling that, you know, that 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 you're, you're not trying to get somewhere else, you know? Yeah. That, uh, and that's the feeling that, I, I mean, I guess I always had felt like, like the, the party is somewhere else, wherever I, I mean, metaphorically and literally, um, and that I need to, I need to, change where I am or change how I am, anything like that, um, to be, you know, truly in the world and having a good experience. And that just got too hard to live with. Yeah, uh, it was never, I couldn't, I could never satisfy the need. There was no place or thing that I could have or buy or anything like that, that would, would felt like, yeah, that was enough. Um, and so I just thought, look, if I can't be me, for me, I, if I can't be happy with this, I can't be happy with anything, you know, mm -hmm. and that's just, that's my nature, you know? And so, um, that's how I ended up doing things that it's, it's funny. I, I, it's very hard for me to realize how ridiculous it looks to other people. I can, I can intellectually, I can, I can imagine that, but I don't, I can't feel that. And to me, this looks totally understandable. Wait, what do you mean? I'm not following. What looks, what do you think looks ridiculous to other people? what i do I oh, think when, oh okay when, yeah like I, yeah i guess i, I didn't mean, understand because it doesn't look ridiculous to me so i was i thought you must be referring to something else so you think you think it's possible that there's a large portion of the population that looks at what you do as ridiculous yes but i'm fine with that i think um but i, I wonder what's interesting to me, but but it's interesting because those i think that the the there are people that understand what I like and what I do, but that they don't hew to any particular demographic. You yeah. know, I, it's like, I think it's a, um, it's a temperamental thing that, that just is, is not about class or any, any of the other kind of, you know, what I feel to be fairly silly identity categories that everybody's obsessed with. Um, you know, it, it doesn't travel along those lines. It's a different kind of frequency, um, that where, um, you, you know, like I'll meet, I'll have, you know, whatever, somebody just on the street, like who, who, I don't know, they're just, they're not artists or into art at all, but they get it. You can tell they get it, you know? Yeah. And then you'll have people who are really interested in art and they don't get it at all. And that's fine. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a temperamental thing, you know? Um, yeah, I guess I could see that. I'm <laughs> sorry, mom. I'm gonna use my mom as an example, but I can imagine her looking at this painting and going, well, 
it would have been prettier if it was a pretty neighborhood, you know, right. or something like that. Yeah. The, the, those, yeah. those stereotypical things that a large portion of the population might find interesting or might expect an artist to paint. And instead of yeah. the edge, <laughs> instead of a window frame and an ordinary house. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I totally understand that. Um, and that's, I think, I think most people probably feel that way. It's a funny place to be, though, because you don't really fit into anything. You know, it's not cool, really, but it's not attractive either. So you kind of exist in a in a, in a no man's land um, in terms of, uh, you know, people who, who like it. It's not, it's yeah, not, well, you know, it's paintings. So you know what I'm saying? Well, I it's, do know what you're saying based on the general population. Maybe I don't know. I can't speak for the general population, but I will say that I don't see it that way. I think it's cool and beautiful, but I get but what you're, you're a saying. Painter. I'm a painter. Yeah, I get what you're yeah. saying. But you, I mean, I'm sure you have collectors that also agree with that. I mean, you're selling some of these paintings at least. I sometimes I if, um. We most I actually most of them I give away. <laughs> you give them away? Uh, Are you serious? Yeah, that's amazingly yeah, generous. It's not really because what I what I really want is for them to um, be in somebody else's consciousness. That's gosh, um, and that's that to me is if I'll do anything to make that happen. Um, and so, yeah. In fact, I've given away the probably my best paintings, I think, the ones that I'm most fond of. In fact, like, you know, I gave a painting recently to um, my brother, and it's like a big painting. I think it's one of my better paintings, and it's ambitious and all that. Um, there's literally no nothing that would make me prouder than to know that my brother likes that painting and that it's in his life. Like, this, if, if somebody from, you know, whatever gallery came to me and said, this is great. We wanted to have a solo show based on this painting. It wouldn't mean half what it means to me that, you know, my older brother who, you know, of course you always want to be like your older brother, um, you know, thinks that this is great. This is so much more important to me. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? That's awesome, man. I wish I was related to you. <laughs> it may be, you know, if you go back far enough. Maybe let's, let's get on ancestry that app and find out. Cause maybe you'll send me a painting if we're yeah. close enough cousins. Hey, um, listen, <laughs> careful. Okay. I just want to, we'll just pan through a few more of these paintings, uh, just so the audience can see them. Oh gosh. Again, just want to point out how wild the curves are on this. And yeah, that's where, that's where I am right now, actually. It's like right out. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, like sitting. That's, kind of see that's awesome. Yeah, so I it's I have it it's the house is really cool like that. It has it has windows on on um you know on, on three sides at least, so that's good. Yeah. What year was your house built? Early nineteen hundreds. Okay. It's so a it's a pretty old house. The free yeah. Yeah. Oh That's my gosh, this is awesome. <laughs> so, okay, you said you have a studio. Why? You're never painting inside your studio, uh, it appears. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I don't know. I do, well, I should say I work a lot on the paintings away from the subject. Oh, I'm glad I lot. asked that question. Really? What happens yeah. when you're not in front of the subject? What kind of work are you doing? All, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, first of all, I almost exclusively work on it upside down when it's away from the subject. Um, and basically, I, I'm, I'm solidifying and um, I would say kind of registering what maybe what I thought I had registered when I was there. Um, you know, like when I'm painting in the moment, I'm very absorbed uh, in looking at the thing and, and, um, and being in the place and all that stuff. And I, I actually, maybe I don't actually do that much when I'm in there, but I'll, you know, I'll come back to the studio and I'll, I'll remember, oh boy, you know, like I really liked the way that that blue might push off of that orange or whatever. And then I'll see that I just didn't make it happen. I like, I thought I did, you know, it just didn't happen when I was there. And so I'll try to make it happen the way I imagined it happening in the studio. And when it's, when the painting is upside down, um, I get freed from all of the um, it, all of the kind of commitments that are kind of blocking me up a little bit. So I'll get when I'm working on a thing from life, I get really married to like where certain things are, or certain contrasts, or certain moments that I think are working well. And then when I this episode is brought to you in part by Rosemary Brushes. If you're one of my listeners who's a professional artist, you're already using Rosemary Brushes. But for the rest of you, come on, take your work a little more seriously. Stop buying the other brands. It's just not worth it. Every now and then you may get lucky and buy a good brush from another brand, but use the brand that professionals like myself are using. Go to rosemaryandco.com, link in the description or the show notes, and get yourself some quality brushes before your next painting. Yeah. So I'll, like, for example, I'm painting a painting of my dining room now, and there's nothing on the table, but I want stuff to be on the table. So I tried to make some stuff up the other day in the studio, and I can't wait to see what it actually looks like. Like I imagined what color the shadow might be or how big the plate might be relative to the table. And I can't wait to be surprised by what it actually is like. Oh man, your you way know? of painting sounds like a <laughs> blast. Oh, it's so much fun. You got to try it. I'm, um, I might, yeah. I might try. I'm sure yeah. my paintings would look like my brush strokes, but just, just the, the process sounds like so much fun. The other, and when you, so let's say it was a, you wouldn't do a basket of fruit. You'd put a sander on your table, but. <laughs> well, but, would it, if I had a basket, there was a basket of fruit there, I might do it. I, mean, I know I'm teasing. Just, I'm just teasing. But so let's say it is a basket of fruit that you made up. You go, you put the basket of fruit on, you get the shadows wrong. My suspicion is based on what I've seen of your paintings is you might not completely cover up your guesswork. Oh, no, I would. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly. what makes it interesting. You're going to get all these cool layers of what you're imagining versus yeah. what's really there, which yeah. adds all this interesting history. Yeah. That's, and that's actually, if I, if, if I try to like tidy up and clean up the, the painting loses because that vitality that I experience when that moment of, of surprise happens, that feeling of vitality is registered. The second I put that, that color down that I'm that I see relative to the color that I made up. Right. So the sub the subject in that sense is that moment of surprise of of my expectation against my observation. So to take the old part out would actually be to take the subject out of the painting because you would take out the actual moment of discovery. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm very natural. I'm not trying to like leave things out. 
I'm trying to actually just paint what it is that comes up and and no more. And I love how know? poetic that sounds. So you leave the old, you leave the imagined, so that the actual observation that you record has something to be compared against, which gives it even more authenticity. Right. Right, because that's I would actually argue that that's what observation is. is right. In in just like lit that that uh, that, and I think this is whatever this is scientifically true. I don't know, but that that your mind that that you interact with the world um, by by a, what they call like a generative model, which is like you you've created a very complex and increasingly complex prediction about what you're going to see and experience in the world. And then your set, your, your senses are running tests against that all the time. And so that's what, like, so a baby, a baby has no experience. It has not developed any kind of generative model of the world, which is why it can't make sense out of its environment. And like when a baby wants to learn, if, if a baby's going to learn the fact that bring that a closer object appears bigger and a, and a further object appears further away, it has to do that by actually moving the object with its own hand. Mm. So that it, it, because then it can attach physical distance to an optical effect, and it starts to make a model out of like its experiences. That thing's further away. I can expect this. I can expect that. So your brain's making these like incredibly complex models against which it tests its experience. Because if you just encountered the world on raw data, you'd be completely helpless. You yeah, no you'd be idea walking off do. of cliffs, falling downstairs. Right. You, yeah. I, you wouldn't know anything. You wouldn't know which way it was up. And I think, you know, when I think they've given people sight who have never seen before, and they just are blown away. Like, they, they don't know what they're looking at. They can't make any sense out of it because they have no model for that. So my point is that the excitement of, of, of observation is not exciting without an expectation. And so you cannot have... Um, you cannot have surprise if you don't have an expectation. And so that's, that's where, for me, the vitality is yeah. uh, of anything. Are you sure you have a low IQ? <laughs> this stuff is great. Well, I think I have the lowest. <laughs> let me just say, I think it was implied that I had the lowest one out of my brothers. But maybe they're just super smart. Oh, maybe they're geniuses, man. Okay. I, so I, I, I would contest. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. The, the reason I say that is because, you know, one of my pet peeves of being an artist is being compared to a certain type of artist. You know, it's when, when I mm -hmm. meet someone that I've never met before and they say, and I tell them I'm an artist, the first thing they ask me is, well, what does your wife do? Because they assume that I'm not making a living at all doing, making any right. money, right? The second thing I know they're either thinking or they'll, they'll maybe ask in some form of question, is you know something that suggests that i've got these crazy harebrained ideas about the world and i'm a i'm a totally loopy crazy free thinker and and not terribly analytical right mm, yeah. and uh i don't know maybe that's my own experience maybe that stereotype doesn't exist in your world but, <laughs> but no it does yeah but but and i've experienced it where i meet a certain class of artist that that typically it's not my audience not realists but where where everything is just sort of frou-frou it's like all the art is about magic art is about feelings art is about 
soul and there's not a lot of substance behind anything that's being said. What I like yeah. when you're talking, what you're talking about is I'm hearing this very poetic approach to art, which is what all, which is what this class of artists is after poetry and, mm -hmm. and, and beauty and substance. I'm hearing that from you with an analytical, almost scientific framework that really appeals to yeah. me because it's real. It's like poetic, but it's real. It's not just a bunch of gobbledygook. It's, yeah. it, it's got substance. It's, it's got something tangible to back it up. Well, I think that's, that's, um, it's, it's, I don't think it's a requirement, but I, it's just my nature to, um, to wonder about those things. And I, I, and I, I do think it's very easy to hide behind, um, you know, you know, emotive language and, and, uh, but I think it's a wonderful challenge to try as best as possible to, um, like sort of pin down what it is that about what you like that and how this weird mystery works, you know, yeah. uh, it's fascinating. And, um, I mean, I just can't help myself from thinking about it. And, and I think what, what can happen is, and, and this is maybe I'm a little defensive about this is that, um, people will say, oh, you're very analytical. Like, and that, that, that like you have these, you, you write reason out what you're going to do. And That's then not do how it. I see it. No, but so what's, yeah, so to me, it's the other way around, like that, that you, it's kind of reverse engineering from the painting, like you do what you do, and then you're introspective about it, and you go, you know, when I think about it, so I, I've always been, I was accused of being an intellectual once, which to me is like, don't, I just, no. I was like, it's ever funny since that then, that's offensive. Ever, ever since then, uh, I've been fighting against that. Um, because it did, it, you know, I guess it does, does make me feel like, you know, I'm not really in touch with, um, uh, you know, the, the, the real emotional substance of art, which may be true. I don't know. Well, it sounds to me like this side of your, of your craftsmanship personality, the person who makes things right, the, the side of you that makes the creative side you treat it the same way you treat your emotional side because mm -hmm. early on in a conversation, yeah. you were analyzing all the reasons why you teach, you know, saying I teach cause I need to be around people. I teach because I need attention. I teach, for, I'm obviously oversimplifying it. And I was, no, I was really impressed with that. You're really in touch with that and you're being completely honest with yourself and you're doing the same things with how you make things. You're saying, yeah, I made that thing. I responded to it. Why did I respond to it that way? What is happening? How am I thinking yeah. and why is it working? And, and yeah. that's when the intellectual analytical side starts to come in and sort of fill in all the gaps as to how things yeah. are made. That, it's, it's funny you point that out because I didn't, like I said, I did not go to college and I don't have much um, formal education beyond. I went to, be able to a very good high school, yeah. um, but uh, I didn't do very well there. <laughs> but, uh, but I had an experience when I was about 20 maybe um where I, my my mom insisted that i go to cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. um this was like way back in the day before it was people knew much about it but um because i was just a difficult and um and just unreasonably unhappy um and that teaches a way of of sort of i don't know thinking about your thinking such that you can if you're so um uh, if you're so captured by 
the emotions that you're having that you can't function that this is a way of sort of literally putting yourself at a distance from those things and and sort of making it so that those that those feelings don't completely um derange your experience of the world which is what it was doing for me you know like i would i would get feedback that i didn't like about something that I had done, which is I couldn't work, I couldn't function for days. Like, mm -hmm. you know, some little thing that somebody might have implied. Uh, and I could see from the way other people acted around me that this was not really normal. Uh, this was not a, effective, a good way to behave, but it was, I was completely in the grips of it. I, it was not, I couldn't be talked out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, that was like the, a really important educational experience for me. I think that's why I ended up thinking so much about thinking, hmm. you know? So do you think that uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, is that what you called it? What it's yeah, called? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that those skills that you learned to be able to analyze your own thoughts have helped you to learn how to analyze your own behavior as a painter or maker? Oh, uh, yeah. No, 100%. I really? mean, 100. Yep. Absolutely. Interesting. Yep. I never would have made that connection. Okay. One thing I want to comment on, I hate to get off that topic because that's a really interesting topic, but... As I've been staring at this painting, mm. I just have to comment, I love color. I have a palette of like 30 of the most chromatic colors I can find. <laughs> if I go to the store and it, I find a more chromatic color, I'll throw out the one I was using and put that on my palette. So yeah. I just love some of these blues and greens that you've got here in this painting. And, and then some of the blues in the shadow, they're so beautiful. And, oh, thank and you. you can't just squeeze it at, People might argue, well, it just came out of the tube that way, but no, it's not that they're beautiful alone. It's they're beautiful in the company of the other colors you choose. You, sure, you're, the way sure. you're organizing these colors is just really gorgeous. Well, thank you. It's not something, yeah, I mean, as you know, color is just relationships. Right. Um, I, I really admire um, people who are able to handle a broader range of chroma than I am. Um, you know, I live in a, a very, very narrow range of chroma. I never learned to deal with like these big moves in chroma. And part of that is an effort to do what I would call like paint a particular like color of the light, you know, like mm -hmm. so that all painting has a certain cast to it. Um, and so, you know, each of the paintings is is it in itself a particular color. So the like the red in that painting, it's really not very red. It's actually... No. Put it on your palette, it wouldn't look red at all. You know, it looks red in that context, but, you know, so that, that I actually have a very, very, I mean, all the colors in my paintings are just like raw umber, or no, burnt, it's like burnt sienna, uh, raw sienna, like blue black, and then um, obviously white. And then I have a kind of juiced up version of each of those colors. It's not, wait, wait, don't you don't have a blue. These blues are just coming from no, the, I didn't, no, no, I have, I have like ultramarine. So I have, Oh, a, I didn't hear I you say that. A dude color, um, triangle that where the, like, so it's like raw sienna, burnt sienna and blue black. And they, I kind of like those colors create the bulk, like the body of the mixture, you mm -hmm. know? And then, kind of like the mixture just kind of gets seasoned by, you know, um, I, I, well, I have a fake cadmium, whatever, but like by these higher, um, higher chroma things. So it's, it's really kind of a really simple 
what are kind these of, colors? I normally don't ask this question, but now I'm really curious. So what are some examples of a higher chroma red, yellow, and blue that you use? So I have, I tend to have a higher uh, chroma on each side of the spectrum. So if it's a red, I have a colder red and then a hotter red. Yeah. Okay. So like if I go down the palette, there's a raw sienna. And then to the right of that is a, I have, I use fake cadmium. I mean, because you're worried about the cadmium poison of the cadmium. Uh, yeah. Well, I, oh, the only reason I am is because I paint in the house and I sand my paintings and I have a kid. Oh, That's, well, I those, use vermilion. I don't even have cadmium on my palette. Yeah. Well, I do really in yellow. I do in yellow. I take that back. But I, 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 I found that my, my fears about toxicity were beginning to um, uh, put some constraints on the way I felt when I was painting. And mm -hmm. I just thought I wasn't more. So I have the fake cadmium yellow. That's nice and juicy. Uh, and then I start to go to the left and, and just like a, a, the burnt sienna and then I have a like a fake cad red, and then I have an alizarin crimson. So there's like this hot, pumped up red, and then a colder red, you know. Yeah. And then as I go to like the orange, I have the I have like a cadmium orange, uh, and then uh, I have a couple blue, like I have ultramarine blue, and then a kind of fake cerulean blue. So these are ways like a green blue and a red blue, mm -hmm. uh, and I have some like I have some tube greens that I like. Um, like a permanent green and then some certain like what I would call flavors that I think you can't, I can't get without some specialty colors, like, like, thalo? like a lizard. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I use phthalo green because there's, there's a certain minty quality to a phthalo that yeah, you can't mix that, it. It's impossible. <laughs> it's in yeah. it, it. I, I, um, phthalo is like cilantro to me. Like it's just a very unique flavor. And you can't get that flavor some other way. Same with alizarin, you know, like you can't push something in that very specific spot that alizarin can get it. Have you um, thought much about so that? Because you're obviously a thinker. Have you thought much about why can't you mix thalos? I, if everything I in know. the spectrum is red, blue, and yellow, it seems like you should be able to mix it. It's so frustrating. No yeah, it's I have weird. no idea. Huh? Yeah, that's the that's the long story basically. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Those are, that, that makes a lot of sense. Those colors. Um, so with your, um, alizarin crimson, have you ever tried, cause I, I used to use alizarin crimson and obviously what you're doing is great. So I'm not suggesting you make any changes whatsoever, but I used to use alizarin and for some reason, for me personally, it felt too potent. And then I switched mm. to chromacridone magenta and it's, oh. Tried that. What is it called? Chromacridone magenta. Okay. And I find that it's like, it's not quite Ooh. as harsh as alizarin. Alizarin is so cold. It's almost like icy cold red. Anyway, I, I, I love magenta. Is it yeah, it's very transparent. I'll have to try it. Yeah, very transparent. And I'll mix it with a phthalo green to get black. Oh, no, no, that's oh. not true. That's not true. I mix perlin with phthalo green to get black and it's a really rich black perlin's more like a i describe it as like blood red it's just a really oh. deep deep transparent red like yeah but anyway oh yeah well man this has been fun and you know so my yeah. my final question is like i'm gonna phrase it a little bit different for you because you said obviously you're giving away paintings you don't have to paint your career is mostly teaching as far as paying the bills if not entirely 
So I want to ask you. Well, I, I, I should be clear about that. I have, I have uh, family wealth that helps me as well. I don't oh, want great. anybody to believe. That's awesome. I don't, it's very, very important to me that people don't um, get a false picture of, of what, um, of what things are like. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's and, great. And, your authenticity. I really appreciate I that. Well, I just think it's only fair. I mean, and so, uh, no, but basically I, you're I fine. <laughs> you're fine. You do whatever you want. Good for you, man. Yeah. That's a blessing. Seriously. And you know what? I, I'm grateful that people like you have that. I was in, I was in, um, DC once with a Senator. I had a portrait of a Senator to do. And I think I've told this story in the podcast, so my audience will have to forgive me, but I've never forgotten it. But um, in this day and age where a lot of people are really down on, on you know, the disparity between wealth and poverty and everything, yeah. you know, it's, I always think about this story. And I'm not even stating my opinions on that. I, that's not relevant. But the, he, we're walking around and I'm, we're walking through D.C. from the Capitol Rotunda. He takes me through these tunnels to these other buildings. It's pretty trippy in D.C. when you're with a senator. They have all these secret tunnels and whatnot. But, and uh, I'm just in awe, just just blown away by all the incredible architecture there. Everything down to the tile work on all the floors is just incredible. And I'm sure you've been, been to DC, you're not that far away. But I'm just in awe of it. And I asked him, I'm like, why don't, man, it sucks that we just don't have architecture like this anymore. He goes, well, that's because, that's because of the distribution of wealth. That's the one downside of democracy. And I was like, yeah. what do you mean? He goes, well, because there's just not enough of a disparity between the rich and the poor in order to have these kinds yeah. of buildings to be made anymore. You know, if you think about the Sistine Chapel, it was made by a really wealthy Pope, you know, yeah. right? And um, and so not stating my opinion, but I'm grateful for people who have the resources to be able to make whatever they want and not be inhibited by the fear to turn on the lights because frankly i don't know that you could have made this if you weren't in the situation you're in so i appreciate your honesty um, yeah well yeah. I, I just one thing i would share about that is that it does um i did the 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 mandate that i do feel um for all of my good fortune is that the the thing i feel most fortunate about is um, other than sort of the lowest on parts of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy here, you know, that, that are obviously everything else depends on, but um, is having been had the luxury to, um, to develop an interest uh, such as painting and to cultivate that uh, to the level of, of fulfillment that I, I feel like it's been able to provide for me. And I, I genuinely think that, this is something that um, everybody, uh, everybody in some form or another is looking for. And I, and, and it may not be painting, it may be whatever, but like this, a kind of a vocation in that sense. And I don't mean like, you know, I mean, you know, in the sense of a calling and something that they really, an activity around, and I, that with which they can identify and around which they understand themselves. Um, and so, I feel this is why another reason my my commitment to teaching is so strong is that it's it's this it's my one way I think it's more valuable than the painting is to help 
somebody else find that for themselves. And I would go to great lengths to make that happen. I mean, I, That's awesome. I don't care how I don't care how much experience the person has. But if, if you could just bestow that gift on people, that's what I would want to do. And so I well, I mean, like, that's why I would just teach anybody who shows up. You know? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other so, thing to my point about the wealth, too, is I've been so blessed because there are people who have way more money than I do who are willing to pay for paintings that I could never paint without them. So right, it's a right. blessing when people are willing to support the arts, whether you're an artist who already is is financially stable or whether you're a wealthy patron who is making an artist financially stable so that he can he or she can paint um yeah it's a gift to the art world when an artist is able to paint what he or she feels inspired to paint yeah it's, just a, yeah, it's a gift it's a gift okay so my final question is what advice would you give to an artist who is aspiring to do great paintings like yourself one day? Um, well, without endorsing the comment that my paintings are great, I will say that, um, uh, hmm, what advice? I guess it would be to, to separate your, uh, your, your career from your vocation. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, your vocation is way more important than your career. Um, I don't mean vocation like vocational school. I mean um, that to to create space in your life for your work to be what you want it to be, and to mm -hmm. not be constrained. I if I if I was if my kid right now wanted to be an artist, I would tell him like you should. Um, I think that you should go and get another skill, and but so that your art can be truly free. And now I'm not, a lot of people would disagree with that, but given today's environment, that would be my best bet, hmm. you know? And I think that the division that has been created between like people who make a living as an artist, as being serious and people who don't as not being serious is completely nonsense. Hmm. I think we have to let go. We have to completely let go of you're only a serious artist. If you paint 40 hours a week, I don't paint 40 hours a week. I've never painted 40 hours a week. Hmm. And, and I, I, I think that you are you are as serious as you take yourself and as serious as you make your work. And that that by kind of firewalling that from the demands of your life, like if I had to, if I had to have a uh, do something, you know, for for a living other than, than teach and, and live off of my you know, good fortune, um, I'd be a carpenter five days a week and I'd paint whatever I wanted on the weekends. And would that, you really? And I would. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because is that because you love is, carpentry or because you feel like that's what it would take to support yourself? Uh, I, I, I feel like I would rather paint whatever I want two days a week than, um, you know, try to understand what somebody else wants. I just like the idea of having this completely sacred zone of, of, um, of autonomy, uh, that is totally up to you, you hmm. know, and you, and 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 have for that to be the 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 focus of your identity, I, I think that's a healthy thing to do. Um, and so I would tell people like to try to to yeah make a division between making a living and making art, and to not let that division undermine their sense of how serious they are as an artist. That's the that first time sense. we've heard that advice, and I think you're going to be speaking to a lot of people. So. 
I really appreciate that. And but I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't be happy doing something else to keep keep my art business going. But but I think it's pretty clear from talking to you that that and that's one of the things that we don't share in common is that like um I need to be motivated to make a living to produce on some level. Right? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I, so I, for I, me I, that that formula wouldn't work, but I bet there's a huge portion of this audience that that formula is just absolutely perfect for. Well, I should say that I completely I don't mean to suggest that that's that's the only way to do it at all. No, there I didn't think you were. Yeah. Absolutely. It's in it's it's so it's so far from my temperament that I I don't think I could do that. So I'm amazed by people that that can can do that. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't think it was, but that's why I love that advice because, you know, it is there is there is going to be a huge part of the audience that's like, oh, good, it's okay for me to have a job and be an artist. I don't, and I can still take myself seriously. And I'll I'll take you seriously, right? <laughs> for what that's worth. right, you right. Know? Yeah, thank you for that. That's great. And I, man, it's been a huge honor to have you on the show. And uh, I hope we stay in touch. You seem like a great Absolutely. guy. And it's it's been fun to get to know you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.